Here is Butler. They isolate him like they did in Charlotte. Jimmy Butler with a game on the line. Thinking three. Butler for the lead. Yes! Jimmy Butler did it again! Well, you take a look at this again. You're down one. You don't even need a three. Nonetheless, for good measure, from long distance, dialing it up. The new addition, bringing it on home. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my co-host. C. Grant. What it do, brother? What it do? What it do? Good, man. Good, man. No issues. It's been a crazy week in basketball, but before we get to addressing what's been going on in the world of hoops, as always, we like to take this time out to give a big time thank you to all of our supporters and subscribers, people providing us feedback, suggestions on ways we can go ahead and continue to keep the movement moving. If you do have any comments, you can, of course, leave a voice note on any of the voice note functions available wherever our podcast is posted. You can also email us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Without further delay... We are going to go ahead and jump right into it. See, Grant, what what do you elect to be topic number one today? Uh, we, we can get right to it, man. Um, we could do one or two things with uh, the the Rockets GM, Daryl Morey, talking about he um, believes Harden is a better scorer than Michael Jordan. Oh, well, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't say he believes. He said it's a fact. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, he's a fact. That's what he says. Yeah. So he's actually right. From from a from the argument that he's presenting, he's actually statistically right. From a statistical standpoint, James Harden produces more points per possession than Jordan does, which supports his argument that James Harden is a better scorer than Michael Jordan. Now, from the eye test, we know that is a whole bunch of malarkey. So. I'm not even going to pretend like, mm-hmm. hey, I agree with – I just want to be the guy who points out before someone does when they hear this and make it seem like we're not using objective eyes to at least see the point he was trying to make. Daryl Morey, I see the point you're trying to make, and I commend you a 1,000% for trying to um, stand behind your guy. James Harden's on your roster. He's the best player on your team. He's your max contract player, even though what there's a chance Westbrook might be making – as much or if not more than him, whatever the case may be, that's your guy. You're supposed to do whatever you can to remain faithful to your, your franchise's best player. So I, I respect where you're, where you're coming from, but, bro, you, you, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like you said, when, when you control the narrative of what you want to discuss as the argument, it's easy to – you could pinpoint a slight something, you know, and say, okay – this is what this is why I say somebody's better, and like you said, there are some facts to that. But like you said, just the reality of the eye test, and, and let's put it in who I'm who who I want because you got to think about Jordan was scoring, he averaged more points in his career, or not just this per season than James Harden without a three point without which a three is part point. of which is so, part of how we're going to put this argument into its correct context. So Michael Jordan debuted in the NBA in 1983. Mm-hmm. The three-point shot was a, was, was a new toy. It wasn't something that was a big part of the college game that he had come from or the high school game that he had graduated out of to go to college. James Harden's been playing mm-hmm. with a three-pointer 
basically probably since he's picked up a basketball. It's been a part of the NBA game. So, of course, there's more usage in regards to James Harden taking more threes. James Harden summarily last year took more step-back threes than I think all of basketball combined last Mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. He's made that his sole go-to move in case of an emergency when it's time to go get a bucket. That's my red red light. Michael Jordan's go-to moves consisted of if I have you on my back anywhere inside of the three-point line, you're baby food. So mm-hmm. that means he could give you his version of the dream shake into a post fadeaway. He could give you his version of the dream shake into a step through up and under. He could give you his version of the dream shake and go by you and dunk on you and your big man. Michael Jordan's in-between game mm-hmm. in comparison to James Harden, there is no comparison. James Harden's tried to have a little back-to-the-basket game early on before D'Antoni got there. I don't know if you recall it. You know, he used to do a little mid-range, yeah, mid-post no, exactly. stuff. And... Yeah, it wasn't anywhere near as effective as what Jordan and the the closest descendant to him as far as that type of game developed, which is Kobe Bryant. So mm-hmm. it's great that James Harden takes and makes more threes than Jordan ever did. Jordan, if his usage rate on threes went up, probably makes the argument from a statistical standpoint even harder to argue in favor of Harden. But the reality is, is that if you go from what these two guys are good at doing and what they did well for the entirety of their careers, from an eye test, people are going to take Jordan eight times out of ten, I would say, at the least. At the lowest rate, it would be eight times out of ten. At the highest, it will be 11 out of ten. So, I mean, from an objective standpoint, no, I, 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 can't, I can't give his argument any traction other than you know, those blessed statistics that, like you said, when you paint the narrative, you, you can paint it in any direction you want to go if you present the right statistics to support what it is you're trying to say. And I think that's what Daryl Morey did. More power to him. It, it, it creates a conversation. It makes noise. Travels across the blogs. Mm-hmm. We wind up being compelled to talk about it, even though, like you said, we both stand on the same position that it's pretty much malarkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you think about this. Jordan... His uh, career attempts for three-pointers is 1,778, right? That's just for his career. That's from 1984-85 season until the 2002-2003 season when he was with the Wizards. The most he ever took in a season was 1996-1997. Wait. Uh, no, no, no. That was no, 98 was a lockout. No, 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 no. 96 Ninety-six, ninety-seven. He played. He still played. He played eight, all eighty-two. Okay. Well, the year he had um, his highest statistical shooting percentage from three-point line was a lockout year, and the, the line had also been moved. But anyway, go go ahead. Go into what you were saying. Yeah, but uh, basically, he took two hundred and ninety-seven three-point attempts. He made one hundred and eleven, so he, was, he shot thirty-seven percent. Mm-hmm. Right for that year. That's 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 two hundred and ninety-seven attempts. James Harden alone made last year 378 but he took oh he took 1200 i mean no 128 for his career and jordan played 13, 15 mm-hmm. seasons right so that's that's on average you know maybe a hundred not a, a, less, you know he like i said for um he took about 1.7 a game career wise yeah yeah career wise james harden taking 1.7 within the first five minutes or first two possessions. You know what I mean? So, because like I said, just in the, just in 
the last two seasons, James Harden's already had uh, almost as many three pointers as Jordan did in his whole career. So that's the that's the thing. So like I said, the, the way the way it's also the way the game is, you know. Um, but going back to that argument of James Harden and Michael Jordan, you know, it, 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 like you said, it keeps it keeps the rock talked about, and he's doing that because he wants to push push his people. I mean, you got to make sure those seats in that arena stay full because now you're adding another max player onto that team and that roster. You got to make sure that you guys stay competitive. So, like I said, yeah, good for him. You know what I mean? Um, but the reality is that's not going to work for us. It's not going to fly for the casual not – not even the casual basketball fan. You know what I mean? Like, a casual basketball fan is going to look at him like he's kind of crazy. But no basketball has followed basketball for a long period of time. We're not buying that at all. So, but you know what? But Daryl Morey is the guy that invented the um, – the analytics. He's Mr. Analytics. The they analytics, give him you know credit I mean? big, for that, but he didn't invent for that. analytics. He just. I'm not saying he, he just. Yeah, he was. He was a. He's a okay. He's the he, poster boy champion for you know the annual conference that they have. That was, um, I believe, actually it's MIT sponsored. So there's a lot yeah, of yeah, education, yeah, is, educational bigwigs involved in the yearly analytical um, conference that they have based on basketball and also other sports. So there's a lot of people, and now every NBA team in the league does have an analytics team to support and assist them with using analytics data to, you know, mm-hmm. further understand to how their team can exactly. be more efficient and, you know, use statistics to your benefit. Listen, when it comes to basketball, it's still a game. Basketball still requires strategy. I'm all for implementing every facet of strategy that you can to make your team better. So I'm never going to sit up here and say, oh, throw those new things. Like, no, I'm absolutely in favor of it. Now, do you let those analytical trends make you a prisoner? No, but you definitely should be aware of certain analytical trends when they come to how you're going to defend your opponents and how you're going to approach scoring the basketball. So I see both sides of it. But I think this is these are the type of situations that Daryl Morey go ahead and puts himself out in front of the shotgun and it's going to go off and it's going to go off against him and the entire analytics movement because you went and found something to find a way to say something that nobody's really going to like to hear. No, exactly. Nobody exactly. wants to spend five to ten minutes like we, we're doing right now arguing the merits of whether or not Michael Jordan was a better basketball player or a better scorer than James Harden. It's just something that we've come to accept and we've seen and we know to be true. And rather than sit up here and, I guess, belittle our fans' intelligence with, with the idea of actually trying to debate it, we're just going to brush past that as, you know, Daryl Murray, whatever you got going on in your coffee, God bless you. Exactly. You already know. So, yeah, going, going on to... Um... Well, and let's do. Oh, I want to clear up something that, at the last episode, that I talked about how LeBron met Rich Paul. Uh, that actually wasn't the case. They didn't go to high school together. Uh, LeBron met Rich Paul actually at an airport, and Rich Paul was actually selling throwback jerseys out of his trunk. And um, LeBron saw that he had, I think it was a Warren Moon. It was jersey, a Warren Moon jersey, like the yeah, it was a Warren. It was a Warren Moon throwback jersey, and he liked it. So next thing you know, 
they just kept in contact that way. And then when LeBron, basically LeBron got put in the league, he um he get basically this. All right, let me read from the New York Times. This is from the Business Insider article uh, from what is this from 2017? I think the story's from 2014. Basically, just saying LeBron James' agent was a 21 year old selling jerseys out the trunk of his car when he first met LeBron. Rich Paul, LeBron James' agent and a longtime friend, is one of the most influential people in sports. Obviously, we know that. Uh, but it actually just says that when Paul was one, he met LeBron, who was still in high school at the time, at the airport in their hometown of Akron. Uh, Paul hadn't, go- hadn't gone to college and was trying to get his throwback jersey business off the ground when he ran into LeBron. James was captivated by Paul's Warren Moon throwback jersey, asked where he got it. It turned out selling jerseys out of the trunk of his car. He was going to Atlanta to buy more. James gave his contact, his connection in Atlanta, and he told him to drop his name for a discount and then went on his way. So almost like fate, you know what I mean? Because that could have been any, any that could have happened that, you know, what's the chances of that happening? And then the fact that they became friends shortly after that. And James, once he got drafted number one, he actually hired him, uh, Paul on an annual basis. And then over the years, he helped Paul with, uh, getting, learning the business. And next thing you know, you know, here he is, you know, running clutch sports, but this is, you know, Fate that led him there in a sense. So, um, but that was when it cleared up because they didn't go to high school yeah. together. Paul's a couple of years older than LeBron, so that way, like I said, if if any of our listeners were kind of confused, um, now you kind of like I said, it just clipped for error. That's all. Um, then the next, like I said, we want to go to the next topic. We can uh, we can either do you want to do the. Uh, the little small takes about how, uh, the way how it possibly get a reunion and uh, the Lake Lake of Land. Yeah. yeah. So, um, in light of Demarcus Cousins tearing his ACL, Dwight Howard has been mentioned in various sports publications as possibly being on the radar of the Los Angeles Lakers as a replacement for Demarcus Cousins. I, as a Laker fan and also as a basketball fan. I like to see redemption stories. I just don't know if there's any redemption left for Dwight Howard. I know what he brings to the court if he's healthy. That's a given. I just don't know how it benefits the Los Angeles Lakers' current roster, considering the huge playing style difference that he has versus DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins gives you a little. But now with DeMarcus' health status, I, I, you know, it's weird. We don't really know what DeMarcus Cousins was going to bring to the Lakers. We kind of going off of what he was doing prior to being hurt and then a little bit of what he did with the Warriors to give you an idea of maybe how he might play. You know, he gives you range because he can shoot better than Dwight Howard. So he's going to be able to shoot from farther out. He is quite a bit of a problem to deal with when he gets you on a low block. He sets screens. He's a very great passer for, for a big man. He's not on the level of Jokic. I would say he's like maybe two notches down because Jokic literally can run an offense. But he, he, he brought a lot of versatility to the table that was going to make him continue to feel involved in a situation where scoring was not going to be something that they were going to be like focused on. I don't, I, I don't know what version of Dwight Howard we're going to get. I mean, he played all of like 38 seconds last not, year. Yeah, games, so... And he had, uh, um, he had an injury to 
you know, I want to say his lower back, but he actually had an injury to his ass. So he had an ass injury that kept him out for essentially the entire season minus, what, nine games, you said? Yeah. And when he played the year before that, he played for, I believe it was the Char- Charlotte. And Charlotte. He continued to give his systematic double double. I think he was like a thirteen and twelve or thirteen and ten. Uh yeah, nah, six, 16, 16, 16 and twelve. And 12 which mm-hmm. and he played eighty one games, yeah, which is very serviceable. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm hoping that if that's something that comes to fruition, that Dwight Howard is healthy and he has a productive year and he's a part of the parade that I expect the Lakers to be able to deliver to Staples Center. Pro- wait, wait. What's up? What's up? My parade. parade, you know, whether you whether you win the oh, title or you know, oh, you oh, there's there's yeah, two there's a double nah. joke there, but I'm just gonna leave it. I got I'm you. I, it yeah, alone. I know. Listen, it's all good. I'm a Nick fan, so I understand. We don't know nothing about that. What? Um, but yeah, not nah, but what? Y'all have the biggest parade every year. What are you talking about? Come on, man. All right, no, nah, but listen, <laughs> back to Edgar White Howard. He played with he. He played with the Lakers from 2013 to 2000. I mean, 2012 to 2013. He only played a season with the Lakers. That was the that was the year Kobe. Kyle that was the Kobe ball. year and his Achilles snap. Yeah, and that was also the year Kobe realized that yes, I wanted Dwight Howard because I thought I was getting Dwight Howard in Orlando. The reality, I was getting somebody that was not as mentally tough as he didn't have that Mamba mentality. Dwight Howard had the physical skills, but he didn't have the mental. So. Uh, Kobe kind of exposed him in the media, but also in the, I'm sure in the locker room as well for not being as um, tough as Kobe thought he was, especially being a competitor. He thought the way um, Howard was able, you know, a lot stronger, but the reality was once he got on the Lakers, it wasn't the same things. Like I said, it's a whole different Lakers team if he was to join the Lakers now. And it would be interesting. I don't know how, I mean, I think defensively, and it depends on what type of health he's in, Dwight Howard's in. I mean, because, you know, he can, he can still give you, you know, probably a, block, a couple blocks a game. I mean, I think he's, I think he's a – it'll be interesting to see how he plays because I can say, yes, he's better than JaVale McGee, but maybe not necessarily for that Lakers team because Dwight, as we all know, he's always been a person that tried to go to the low block and get the ball and call for the ball, whereas this Lakers system is not necessarily set up for him to do that. So can he figure ways to get points and get touches effective within the offense uh, with that same mindset? I don't think so. Like I said, somebody like JaVel McGee might work out better because JaVel can round, get some tip, loose balls. He's not calling for the basketball where Dwight Howard might cause a distraction with that if he's trying to get the ball and do certain his same – Post move that he's done, said the last you know, since he became years, an NBA yeah. player. He's got Basically. he's got yeah three very non unique moves that he goes to on the lower block. He's got a two dribble, go to the right, go over his right shoulder hook. He's got mm-hmm. a hard pivot where he turns to his inside and gets you on his waist, and then does a running hook. And then he has another variation of that move where he tries to go all the way to the basket. There's not really much. Well, he also has got that spin, the drop, the, almost like the drop step uh, when he shoots with the left hand. Oh, you've seen him shoot left-handed shots. Okay. Yeah, like, I mean, well, you know, you're that close to the basket. Yeah. I mean, but it's not – it's more of a left-handed layup. It's not That a, move is in, like, his, you know, his, 
his lower percentile of moves. Like, I mean, if but he he takes enough of those to make you say, okay, that's a move I I've worked on. Yeah, that's for. in my repertoire. Yeah, I'll give you that. The funny thing is, we've mentioned and we've spoken about Dwight Howard in passing and other and other casts. And I've said to you, it's funny because everyone who's worked with him in the off season has said the same thing. There's more to his game than he's willing to demonstrate when he gets on the floor. And it's like the most, um, it's almost like a Markel Fultz level of like, there's some psychology going on with him. Like he knows, or he has practiced doing things, but he just doesn't have that comfort level or ability to overcome the anxiety of how people are going to react to him doing something different from what they've always known him to do. The reality of the NBA is pretty, Mm -hmm. pretty stark and clear. There are plenty of guys who came before Dwight Howard who all they did was dunk. Ben Wallace lived like that, so on and so forth, all the way down the line. You're going to get to a point where the human body is just not going to allow you to do it. You're going to go from, oh, everything's a dunk to, all right, I'm going to have to aggressive lay up this one, or I'm going to have to just quick dap it off the backboard, or so on and so forth. And a guy like Dwight Mm -hmm. Howard, because his game has remained so rigid for the entirety of him being known as an NBA player, it's worrisome. Like you said, it's easy to go back and say, oh, Dwight Howard's just going to go back to the block and demand for the ball. I would hope that in this day and age, with his current status as an NBA player, being that he's an absolute free agent and he's not going to get a multi-year contract with anybody who signs him, I would hope that he understands that the position that he's in is that he's got to get in where he fits in. But again, these legacy players, you know, these guys who have been perennial all-stars, multiple defensive player of the year, so on and so forth, there's an ego attached. There's a there's the quote unquote Carmelo effect that like this guy may think he's bigger than what we need him to be. So maybe we can't bring him in. Mm-hmm. But I think based yeah, yeah. off of that interview that he gave where he apologized to Kobe and he was trying to come full circle with humility, he's putting on a good act to get himself signed, but we won't know any Well, remember he's no, he's currently on Memphis. They're just allowing him to speak to the Lakers. I guess instead of officially buying them out right this very second but he's currently i think he's signed to memphis yeah but we all know that memphis is just collecting veteran assets to eventually flip them like if iguodala plays a game mm-hmm. in the grizzlies uniform it's gonna be by force yeah of course. if dwight yeah, howard yeah. were to play a game for the memphis grizzlies it would be by force so they're holding on to a lot of guys that honestly they just don't feel like cutting a check to make them go away because their salary numbers mm-hmm. don't make sense so it's almost like all right, well, we can hold you and not play you until the All-Star break and then buy you out for 100 grand because you're going to be so determined to leave that you'll let $3 million or whatever the case may be offer that salary just to Absolutely. get somewhere where you, so you can not have wasted a year. Because the reality of, of getting old in the NBA is that, yo, I, my mileage is not going in reverse. It's going forward. And, if, and I'm on a time Absolutely. schedule now too. So, yeah, my age 34 year, I could go ahead and play lesser games but the less time I'm on the floor, the less likely I am to put myself in a position to get another job next year, which is what they're all playing towards. Or at least, absolutely, you know, the opportunity to mm-hmm. be on the floor and contribute to a team that matters. And we know that Memphis is going to be the John Morant show. And I'm pretty sure there's not many, if any, veteran players who want to be, you know, party to what's going to happen over there. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. Um just to circle, just to double back with this whole Dwight Howard thing to wrap it up. Dwight Howard has had a career because he's been coached, especially in an era where post moves were prominent and were dominant. Uh, 
Patrick Ewan, when he was in Orlando, during his Orlando years, Patrick Ewan was one of his assistant coaches that used to work with him. When he played for Houston for four, the three, uh, the three years that he played in Houston, he had Kevin McHale, who we all know has he had this and Elijah one worked with Elijah one. So out of those three post players, who are arguably some of the top three post players in, in NBA history. How did how come you don't have a better post game? You know what I mean? Like, but that's just, that's what I'm trying to say to you, see, Grant. Yeah, both of those guys, both Kevin McHale, he was on the record. I don't, I can't, I can't pull it up because it was an NBA TV situation. So you know, a lot of their stuff don't wind up making it to YouTube for archive purposes. But Kevin McHale said, mm-hmm. when I work with him, there are so many more moves that he had in his repertoire that he just would not bring into a game. Yes, I, and I heard, but I remember Patrick Ewan saying that because I remember. Patrick Ewan, they're asking him, what do you see in Dwight Howard that might be similar that you saw that you saw in yourself when you played? And he was like, oh, man, Dwight has all the tools. The hardest part for us is to get Dwight to do some of the stuff that we're giving, the tools that he's been given. He, does, he said, um, he basically kind of said in a nutshell that Dwight has a lot of tools in his toolbox, but he's so comfortable doing the ones that's been working that he doesn't want to use any other tools and unfortunately for him yeah when he was averaging 20 and 15 rebounds you know 20 or 14 a game in Orlando he was dominating everybody so he didn't he with those same moves so instead of adding more moves and and upping his scoring average to maybe 25 points or 27 points a game he was comfortable with at 20 so he just felt like I guess I guess he felt like he was like okay I'm good where I'm well at. here's the thing and now here's the fool's goal that came to that situation they hit lightning in a bottle with that Orlando team, the one that we spoke about last podcast when we were mentioning Ray for Austin, that went to the finals. Mm-hmm. They went to the finals yeah. and they played what essentially became a, 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 um, a precursor to how you can function in a spread offense. You have one big man who takes care of all the interior work and you put four guys out there on a the perimeter. You want a high pick and roll. And as the defense collapses, you kick, you kick the shooters. And if the defense doesn't collapse, you have a one-on-one with your big, and he's within five to six feet of the basket. So Dwight Howard was getting a lot of baby food baskets based off the fact that if you look on the wing, you got Jameer Nelson, Courtney Lee, Rashad Lewis, and Hito Turkoglu out there mm. on the wing. So who's getting left on the perimeter? Nobody. And if, as soon as one of y'all come down to help, oh, you want to help off Rashad Lewis? You're getting shot in the face. Oh, you want to help off of... Jameer Nelson, because, because um, Turk Glue's running the pick and roll, you're getting shot in the face. You want to help off Courtney Lee? He's going to either shoot you in the face or he's going to drive by you and, and get a basket. So that, that, true, it was true, a lot true. of pick your poison situation with that once-in-a-lifetime roster. And that's what makes the NBA so beautiful is that we take for granted teams like the Warriors going on these long runs with these same group of guys, but now we're in this era of player empowerment where going into our next topic you're soon going to learn there's not a lot of holdover with these rosters so that you can have a system so that you can have a spurs like situation where you can just keep hot swapping players and still be able to have a continuity that gets you on a playoff competing for a championship level and dwight wasn't aware of that so by the time Mm -hmm. that whole roster fell apart which it took one off season to do he turned on his coach behind closed doors, and then Stan Van Gundy flipped the tables on him. So now he's got that public stigmata that he'll never be able to escape because here's a guy who we all witnessed on camera try to pretend like he was friends with somebody that he had just asked to have fired. Exactly. 
So again, the whole Carmelo effect, the whole, you know, things that haven't been said or things that have been seen but don't always get spoken about do wind up coming to haunt you as you age out as an NBA player. Absolutely. Representation procedure. So going into that, what's the next topic on the agenda? What are we going to go into next? Uh, we're going to go into the retirement party? Yeah, I think we're going to the retirement. I mean, I, I saw on TV that we were going to honor Tony Parker. The Spurs were going to honor Tony Parker, who played his entire career except for the, his last season as the San Antonio Spur. And the, the, the question was, with his jersey getting retired, nowadays, is that even still going to be available because of all the player movement? Who do, who do we think is going to get his jersey retirement or retired at any point, because what we're starting to see is they're starting to do a lot of tribute videos. But because they gave you a tribute video, don't mean they're gonna retire your jersey. That's a that's a whole that's a, a different level that you most players possibly won't reach, depending on how they leave a franchise, how long they were with that particular franchise. And you know, there's gonna be some guys that are superstars that's gonna like LeBron, he's gonna play on you know three teams in his career. Sometimes LeBron might be the the one exception to the rule, but most guys, if they play three teams, possibly four teams, they're not playing enough to warrant a retirement unless they've done something to the point where it, during that time frame they you know, won championships every year they were with a team. So but let's um, go through the let's, let's go kinda, through the givens. So LeBron's going to get yeah, yeah. some form of a retirement in Cleveland. Yep. He may also Absolutely. get one in Miami because he brought two championships there. Possibly. And I, and that, but that, to me, of the two, that would be the least likely of the two. But we know right. that Zach Randolph's jersey is being retired by the Memphis Grizzlies. So number 50 is going up in the rafters for the grit and grind era. They're forever appreciative. That was the perfect fit for him. And it's, it's a known mm-hmm. fact. Kevin, Gar, I mean, Kevin Durant, his 35 is actually being retired or being tributed by the Golden State Warriors. I would hope that Russell Westbrook is eligible for this, considering what he did for the Thunder and the fact that it wasn't so much he needed to he it wasn't so much he wanted to go. It just made sense for him to leave based on how the franchise and his career were no longer in sync anymore. So I would hope that that zero goes up in the rafters. Um, mm-hmm. It's a given that Steph Curry is probably going to get his jersey retired as a as a warrior. I would say that if Clay Thompson manages to come back healthy and plays out the remainder of his new deal, he'll probably get his jersey retired as a warrior. Um, Mm -hmm. Guys who are possibly on that trajectory right now that are still actively playing and they're like big names, if Giannis stays put, Milwaukee will do right by him. Um, Kawhi, he'll never get his jersey retired by San Antonio or Toronto. So he's got to go and do something amazing for the Clippers to be eligible for that. Mm-hmm. Paul George, he probably was close to a level of, of being honored like that in Indiana, but the way things ended and the way Indiana feels like yeah. he bailed on them, I doubt that they do it. It's not going to happen for him in Oklahoma City. So I think he and Kawhi are dealing with the same type of thing. They need to go and have like this most amazing epic legacy style run with like it's almost irrefutable that what they did changed the face of the Clippers franchise again for for the better for them to to be a part of that um who else is out there as far as star power Blake Griffin 
Blake Griffin uh, once saw his jersey get retired as a sales pitch to come back to the Clippers. He signs the deal exactly. and then gets traded to Detroit. So exactly. I think he's out of the running for getting his number put up in the raffle. He deserves it, though. He deserves it. He deserves a jersey retirement for what he did in, in, in L.A. He didn't ask to be shipped to Detroit. You know, Plymouth Rock didn't. <laughs> he didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on him. So I think that era that he helped introduce, which is kind of the feedback and excitement that people who are Clippers fans now, like if you're a Clipper fan for the past four or five years, it's because of Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, and the whole DeAndre Jordan thing. So I think he did. Mm, no, I think, Lob City, I think him it. and the Lob City era did a lot to bring the Clippers into relevance. And they really only had, what, a year and a half of not being relevant where they were just able to kind of like tie the water till now they got the players that they have. So Blake Griffin does deserve some credit for that. And maybe, maybe you can even throw Chris Paul in that, that situation too. But Chris Paul is on what team number four. Uh, team number so he starts out with New Orleans, well, whichever version. Well, he start, he start out, no. And you yeah. know, they did their time in Oklahoma city, but it's still technically one franchise. Then he winds up getting traded to the Clippers. And then he orchestrates mm-hmm. going to Houston, and now he's in Oklahoma mm-hmm. City. So he's on his fourth team. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, if there was probably he, – I would say he had the best odds of getting it done on. It would have been the Clippers, but I think the way he left probably – And the fact that that management is still the current management now. Yeah, so being that he, he left so on yeah, bad no, terms, would... it, it's probably not likely for him. So – there aren't really many Absolutely. like you pointed out. Well, I, I got a few guys. I got a few guys. Go um, I think when you when you mentioned Zach Randolph, that made me think of Mike Conley and Paul Gasol, uh, not Paul Gasol, uh, Mark Gasol, uh, for for that whole era. In but Memphis. I think I both think of those do, guys, both brothers. You don't think? I they, think both brothers. Yeah. If Memphis was smart, would raise both of their jerseys up to the Raptors. Uh, I mean, yeah, that could be that could be an interesting way to do that. Um, but I'm just thinking, like, when you first – that grit and grind era. That's okay. popped in my head. Like, okay, well, you got to do Mike Conley. You got to do Marcus Saul. Those three. Because that, that, that orchestrated an era that Memphis is going to hang their hats on. Um, I think you also got to look at somebody like Damian Lillard if he stays his whole career in Portland. Um, I think you give – if I don't know how Michael Jordan's going to feel about this, but you got to give Kimba. He's your all-time leader scorer. He played, what, almost 10 – well, he played about nine years there in, in, in Charlotte. And you got, I think you give him you give him the benefit of the he doubt. Played, he, Obviously, he played for Michael Jordan. He's not getting his jersey retired. Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm saying. That's also it depends on how Jordan's feeling about that. Uh, so you said the Golden State. I think you would give the Golden State trio if Draymond continues to stay on that team and if they continue to win, if, they, if they're also to squeeze out a third – I mean, a fourth championship with the three people, with Clay Thompson, Curry, and Draymond, I think Draymond would get his jersey retired only because they would be like, you know what? It's you a know, package did deal. this for us. Exactly. I, well, yeah, only if he stays. I think if he gets traded, then I don't I think that, that, that his portion of the is off. Um, I don't know what Miami would do for somebody, and this is just obviously, you know, you're going to give him Dwayne Wade. But Udonis Haslam has played his whole career. Mike. I think his jersey is get... already up there, and they just they just keep letting oh. him play basketball. I'm I'm, I'm being yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I mean that could also be true because number forty is he's a fixture. Like he probably won't play a single solitary minute of value 
next year, but he's already exactly. signed to play, and this is supposedly agreed upon his last season. So I can imagine Udonis Haslam being having his number go up in the rafters, definitely. I think Zoe Mornings is up there, so. Yeah, I think so. If I'm and Udonis bridges, uh, like, four different eras of Miami Heat basketball, so I definitely think that he's worthy. I mean, maybe statistically he doesn't necessarily have, you know, these – all-time great numbers, but what he meant to that franchise and this type of stability and consistency that he brought to the table, I think that's respected within that city and within that franchise's culture. So, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could definitely see him honoring. Uh, I would only say, depending on how his career is going to, how this second half of his career is going to go, but I would say the Wizards would Yeah, I was going to mention him too. Um, I would only say that because he's been in D.C. since 2010. That's already nine years, and the way his contract is set up, if he can come back looking a fraction of what he is Well, he's going to be a fraction sh- if he's a good fraction. Well, not, well yeah. Exactly. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, Not just a fraction. It's got to be a solid fraction of what he was. Then I think the Wizards would do something like that for him. Obviously, same thing with Bill. If they, you know, if both stake around. Um, other than that, like I said, obviously, Portland, we did Damian Lillard, but CJ, if he sticks around as well. Um, maybe, and this is something that I don't know what Toronto's thinking, but maybe Kyle Lowry, um, because he's he was he's been there still and he was able to get the ring. And he was uh that's the only person I think that would come down to like Toronto. I don't think they give DeMar the Rosen because you know, as soon as he left, they got a champion. And number thirteen so is like, probably gonna go up in the rafters in Houston, so yeah, yeah, James Harden, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's actually the next person I was going to say if, so, if it um, pans out. So, I mean, I think that with all that player movement, some of the guys we named aren't all-stars, like t- superstars that the non-NBA fan watches, but I think um, some of these guys are worthy of it because of the history they have. But his with, guys, with his guys who, for whatever reason, just you can – no matter how great the remainder of their careers are, it's not going to probably lead to anything. I could see Brooklyn just to kind of like stroke Kyrie's ego if he goes on to finish out his career. Because Kyrie's probably got – Kyrie did say that he didn't want to play for a super long time and he's already approaching 30. But if he gave them a good six-year run and they, they, they win a championship or two, I can imagine Brooklyn being the franchise that does it for him because nothing's going to happen for him. If- in Cleveland or Boston, nothing's going to happen right. for Gordon Hayward because of his greatness was actually understood to be achieved in Utah. And even if they go on to have a great run in Boston, Boston, they can't afford to retire any more numbers. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, so um, I- I'm just trying to make sure that like we cross our T's and die. I mean, there's eyes. great yeah, young absolutely. guys out there like Embiid could have a retire my jersey type of career. Ben Simmons could have a retire my jersey type of career. Uh, who else from the from the great young all stars, projected wise that you, you you could say? I mean, a guy like Trey Young. If Trey Young continues on his trajectory and never leaves Atlanta, I can see them doing something like that for oh, him. Yeah, and I, I mean, know that's kind yeah, of a reach because he's so super young. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to give our listeners an idea of what type of players and what type of situations could lead to them getting that type of honor. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, well then you could you could do depending on what he does with his if he resigns, you could say somebody like Donovan Mitchell. Then if that's yeah. Donovan Mitchell, um, I mean, I, well, let's not take away work. 
One person, obviously, that we know is going to get it that just retired is Dirk. We definitely know. And Dwayne Wade. We didn't even one of us. And Dwayne Wade. So, I mean, I just wanted to mention those two guys, you know, obviously. Uh, but going, you know, obviously, if, you, if you're looking at young players like that, then obviously, uh, then you might have to go with guys like, like you said, you said the um, the Greek freak, you already said uh, Embiid. I mean, I, it'd be interesting if Detroit does something with Andre Drummond. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what they do with him because he's been a double-double fixture for them. Obviously, that's the only thing. When you think of Detroit basketball and everybody that you can possibly think of with the Pistons that you would consider is, is a champion, you know? So he, he's definitely not going to bring them a championship. Well, I, I don't want to jinx nobody, but the likelihood of him bringing the championship to Detroit, nah, it's not going to happen. Um, it's going to be really tough. You know, I can't wait. Um, what are we? Uh, we're almost on the verge of September. So we're getting pretty mm-hmm. close to that time where we're going to have to start doing our one-by-one team mm-hmm. reviews and Absolutely. previews. I think Detroit is going to be a fun hour for us to discuss because my game plan for <laughs> doing, doing these team projections is to give you guys – we're going to start with the where we expect to see them go, what it would take for them to win a championship, which for some of these teams is going to be the most extreme reach in that you can even, like, fathom in your mind, and then possible mm-hmm. – outcomes for their season based on how their team is configured so those are going to be like the three areas that we hover around when we do our season review or preview of all of these NBA teams and it's going to be interesting to talk about the direction teams like Detroit can go but um back to the the actual discussion at hand yeah I think we've pretty much covered the gamut of everybody, mm-hmm. you know, you said Damian Lillard. You also mentioned C.J. McCollum. You, you threw Kyle Lowry mm-hmm. out there because, again, like, championships tend to – they tend to put a lot of gloss on a career that may not have necessarily been spectacular. And the fact that Kyle Lowry mm-hmm. is the one holdover from that Toronto we're going all in movement that they had. Because, remember, they went all in the moment they signed Lowry, DeRozan, and then traded for um, – Ibaka. So mm-hmm. when they made those when they made those moves in succession, they were basically letting the NBA on notice, like, hey, this is the team that we're trying to get to that final destination with. Obviously, they couldn't complete that task with DeRozan, and DeRozan will probably wind up getting his jersey retired by Toronto. To be honest with you, I think that'll happen. That'd be interesting because Vince is getting be his retired. I'm... Yeah, and I think if DeRozan. Uh, he was drafted by the Raptors, and he gave them ten years, and he's probably one of their all-time leading scorers, if not close to it. I think, I think he is the Raptors' all-time leading scorer. I was about to try to look that up real quick while you were talking. Um, and I think, in spite of how two thousand nine, and I think, in spite of how everything played out with you know him being traded the way he was and the, the hard feelings that came from it, it seems like both parties are starting to come back towards a middle ground of understanding the nature of business. You know, Toronto, their management didn't really have hard feelings because, hey, they was getting Kawhi Leonard out of the deal. But I think they're starting to own up to how they made it happen, especially Masai. So I can see see DeRozan being honored after his career completes with a, you know, a ceremonial jersey going in the rafters in Toronto. So it would be dope if Toronto is able to raise number 10 and number 15 for good. I think that would that would definitely make for nice decorations in their in their um 
in their hall. So, what else mm-hmm. do we? Yeah, it, it, it's Demar Derozan. He's the um. Wait, I'm about to look. Yeah, he's 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 definitely number one scorer. Also, all-time leading scorer in games played for the franchise. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely um strong possibility. He's number one in a couple of other um, categories that might give him. You know, uh, I don't know if they would. I don't think they would do Chris Bosh. I think that would be Miami's um, to go. Even though Chris Bosh not in the league, I don't know if they would. Um, any team would retire his number. He's the one of those guys to me that was on that fence. Unfortunately, a, uh, a medical condition took him from playing. But his best statistical year is all Toronto Raptor years. I know, but he he but he won the championships with Miami, so it's kind of like uh, yeah, I don't know. It would depend on. See, sometimes it depends on if they have new management, new owners, and you know have the conversation with the players. Sometimes the players are still in good favor with those teams. So, yeah, they'll do something like that. But, you know, yeah. we don't know. I, I think it's going to be a longer – it's going to be a longer period for some of these guys to actually get their jersey retired. It might not happen after they retire. It might be another, you know, five, ten years from now where they're like, you know what, let's go ahead and bring this guy back, you know, for such and such bobblehead night and they retire his jersey, you know. But anyway, I think jersey retirements have to be – you have to do something significant for the franchise. I definitely agree. I definitely agree that there needs to be some level of significant contribution. And again, sometimes these contributions aren't even ones that we know about on the court. So I don't want to hold it against guys who have been great in their mm-hmm. communities, won citizenship awards, so on and so forth. And that might be a reason why their jersey gets raised. Did we have um, – what else do we have left on the agenda? Uh, no. Only thing on the docket was just to talk about how two more players since the last time we mentioned Team USA dropped out. You had uh, P.J. Tucker dropped out, and you had De'Aaron Fox drop out as well. P.J. Tucker dropped so, out. He he stated that there was an injury of some sort that he was working to fix. Yeah. So um, I don't want to like put disclaimers on on these guys who are who are choosing to leave Team USA for whatever reason. Some of these decisions to not play for the national team, they do they do raise more questions than they do understanding like De'Aaron Fox leaving because all the reports were that De'Aaron Fox was, you know, slowly but surely elevating himself to, to being a member Mm -hmm. of the team. And he'd already been elevated to the senior team by the time he had decided that he was going to leave the team to work on getting to the playoffs. That was literally the quote that I read that, yeah, yeah. That he's leaving Team USA to work on getting to be good enough to get his team to the playoffs. So when we get to the mm-hmm. season recap, I guess we'll address that situation a little bit more. Absolutely. But um, I think that a lot of this has to do with the way that Greg Popovich and Colangelo are running the system now. And I think they're giving guys a fair understanding of how much playing time they can and can't expect and trying to do it in a diligent fashion so that, hey, if you don't want to play eight to nine minutes a game, you can go ahead and quit now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what happened in the situation with De'Aaron Fox because even if he was getting moved to that second point guard spot, he was still going to have to deal with fighting with Derek White, who I'm pretty sure Popovich is not going to want to cut. So 
I don't want to make it seem like, you know, that's a favoritism thing, but Derek White is worthy. So you got one guy who just happens to be not as fast as the other, and that's really their their definitive differences is that De'Aaron Fox is left-handed and faster, but Derek White is a steady hand. He's big. He can defend multiple positions, and he's good running pick and rolls, which is really the, the key, and he hits open threes. He's a better shooter. So, uh-huh. so I think that that struggle and – him not getting probably the answer he wanted to hear from Popovich because Popovich ain't going to tell nobody what they want to hear. He's going to tell them exactly how he feels. Probably gave De'Aaron Fox enough of an educated decision to say, okay, I could travel with the team and get this experience amongst all these athletes, or I could go work on my game and get to know my teammates better closer to the season starting. And he made that decision. Now, some of these other guys, like I was just – surprised they was even there in the first place like the whole idea that pj tucker was on team usa had blown my mind from the moment it was announced because you're looking at a guy who's uh, 34 35 36 he's in that range of age and yeah, those guys play extra extra weeks of basketball that means a lot that means a uh-huh. lot there's only so much mileage there's only so many hops there's only so many hard defends there's only so many switching out to take a guy who's bigger than me smaller than me quicker than me taller than me whatever the case may be that these guys who play undersized positions really have in their body. So for him to have even been willing to be a part of it, I, I give a lot of credit to PJ for stepping up and, and wanting to be a part of representing this country. But it doesn't surprise me that he elected to go home. The guys that surprised me that elected to go home were, were the young guys who I felt would get a better chance playing against grown men who don't care who they are from other countries, like Marcus, ba- you know, Marcus um, like Bagley, him, him stepping uh-huh. out kind of through me, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it's also. Uh, I have to, I have to read more about it. But it was something about how Fever decided to make the games later this particular summer, as opposed to normally. By now, we were they would have already been playing, right? So I think some guys are saying, "Wait a second. And if yeah, a lot of these guys, a lot some, of these guys, it's been announced. I'm sorry, let me because I, I can go into it because I think I kind of know it. But the window from the end of this tournament to the beginning of NBA offseason, I mean, NBA camps opening is something like two weeks. So a lot of guys, well, then also, or, or it might even be shorter. Mm-hmm. So that, go, and, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say also, if guys decide to play this particular summer and you're trying to make a deep playoff run, you're talking about playing almost a whole year straight of basketball. And then if you sign up for Olympics, now you're talking about a year and a half, maybe two years straight of basketball with no rest in between. It's some guys going to it's going to take a toll, especially if you're an older player or you're at that. Ah, I don't know if I want to do this. If you're borderline thinking that, you're going to be like, you know what? Why am I going to play with overseas in the fever? That's not the Olympics, but I think I want to have an Olympic spot. And then if I play and my team makes the playoffs, like somebody like Kyle Lowry, he might have played the whole year. You know, because January of this year till December of this year, if he wasn't injured, he would have been playing almost every single month of competitive, high competitive basketball. So, you know, you got to be mindful of that. Some guys are looking at it from a standpoint How of, much tread can I you know, what, afford what's on these point? tires? Exactly. Exactly. And if, and, if, and if you did something like Kyle Lowry did, if he would have played this, this particular FIBA games and he would have been eligible for next year's Olympics – that would have been two years straight of basketball. You know, because Toronto, if they're having 
if we go back with the history of Toronto, Toronto's always plays into the the second in a sense. Always plays into late April or uh, May, possibly. You know, yeah. Toronto, Toronto has at least been going home every year, April, Mayish, because the finals start in That's June. What I'm saying, yeah. And they've been going home exactly. either in the first or second round. They ne- I, I, one year they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and LeBron ate their food. But then the year after that, mm. LeBron met them earlier because remember LeBron, LeBron, exactly. and they basically tanked their record so that they could tilt the playoff seating so that they would see Toronto. Absolutely. And then they summarily <laughs> proved their point that yeah, we tilted it just so that we could whoop on them again. And we go, I think what did they sweep them or was it four? Yeah, yeah, I think they swept. Oh, it was sweet. So. If, if, if even if it was four one, it felt like yeah. it was I mean, LeBron hit that running one handed shot off the backboard to seal up Game Three, and the series was essentially over. So, um, yeah, I mean, Team USA has its issues, but I saw the exhibition, and De'Aaron Fox got six minutes in that game, and they kind of just played keep away with Spain. So, and Spain is the number two team in the country. I mean, in the world. So, I'm not saying that every roster is configured like Spain's, but. If some other team doesn't have some, I think every team USA team has been victim to a scheme and it affected them. It was just a matter of how quickly they snapped out of it. A lot of people forget that that Spain team that played against the United States when they had Melo, Kobe, that was a close game. That was Mm -hmm. a close game. Like the United States didn't just dog walk Spain to get that gold medal back. They dog walked everybody before they got to Spain. So, mm-hmm. so I think you'll see a lot of teams running the same anti-American schemes that we always see in international play. You pack the paint, you force these guys to prove that they can shoot, and if they don't shoot, you get to stay in a close game. And God forbid, if you're running a slow tempo with a, with, with a pick and roll, and you got a guy who can really manipulate that pick and roll, you can really F up the United States. Like, if we don't have a guy who's at that point in attack that's really able to control what that pick and roll ball handler is going to do, it's going to put us at the mercy. And that's just the reality of basketball, period. So I'm pretty sure that there's quite a few teams who, because the pick and roll is the go-to play in all of basketball. So I'm pretty sure there's going to Absolutely. be a couple of games where the score is going to be low and the United States is going to have to scratch and, you know, scratch and claw and pull out some close games just to, just to be able to advance. I won't be surprised at all because there's a lot of teams that know that, hey, we take the air out the ball, limit the amount of possessions, don't get them in a situation where they could do what they do in transition because that's the United States' default advantage. We're faster than most teams, and we play a more aggressive style of defense that leads to more turnovers. So we get like eight to ten more points a game in turnovers than the average international club gets because they just don't have the speed, athleticism, and willpower to get those type of points. Like You don't see any other international teams that's out there swarming. And, and basically playing like Arkansas no, no, no. style of defense, you know, the Nolan Richardson Arkansas style of defense for an extended period of time that the United States can because we just simply have the athletes to do so. But the easiest way to combat that style is to slow ball, the, you know, slow dribble the ball, bring it up the court nice and slow, run the shot clock down, take a tough shot, uh-huh. go and pack the paint. So, I mean, it's going to be a repeat until, until some team cracks the ceiling it gets a loss on us. I just think the level of talent that we're sitting out there makes our vulnerability and our, our margin for error that much smaller. So I definitely want to see the U.S. team go out there and be successful. I like a lot of the guys that they have on their team, in spite of the fact that they're not, mm-hmm. I guess you would call the A, B, or C list. They're kind of like, you know, hey, these guys are willing to play. Let's send them over type of thing. But, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, man, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting because that is our serving of basketball until preseason, and I don't really believe in using the preseason to gauge much other than who's not or who is in shape. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess on that note, um, you know, we could run the podcast to us. Uh, closer. Yes, so we appreciate you all for joining us for episode 12 of Views from the Clutch. I am Smart Alex. My co-host is Seagull. Again, if you have any commentary, feedback that you would like to provide to us, you can reach us directly by emailing viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. If you prefer to leave us a voice note, you can tag along to any of the hosting sites where our podcast is shown, preferably to leave a voice note that will get too easier, do it through the Anchor app, and we'll be able to reply to you and either add that directly onto our podcast to address the question. Again, we will be upgrading and moving to newer and better things as we continue to grow. We just appreciate your patience and thank y'all for everything y'all do. And on that note, peace. Peace.